Maybe on a lighter note. Some of you may be praying for a miracle. And the message, the length of it, I can sense that my wife is. And I do need your prayers. I had, a, I, I had an inclination to have Mark come up and pray for me for this message because, it's such, because I face a very difficult reality of, of sharing this message. I've shared this message before, but it changes every time until I get ready to share it. I, I, I study more for this sermon than I had any time before on this message. And so it's not that it's down pat, it's, it's canned. But I've, I've sensed that Satan is in so much opposition to what I'm going to talk about that it's not easy for me to put it together. And so I appreciate your prayers in that regard this morning. <clears throat> I promised uh, someone here that I would bring this message. And so I'm duty-bound, so to speak. <clears throat> and... Uh, you may say that this message is one you probably would expect for me to bring as one of my, one of my uh, close-out messages. <laughs> it's a message on types. I've entitled this message, A Pitch for Types. Now that word pitch is an interesting word. We use it different ways. Uh, you pitch a ball, or you can... Uh, put a certain pitch on things, or in other words, a certain accent or emphasis, that's a certain pitch. Um, scripture uses it even in a different way, and several ways at that. And so we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. <clears throat> but I want to first of all talk about types a little bit. Um, I haven't dwelt on types a lot in the last number of years. I uh, used to do it more when I taught at Maranatha and taught types. I was into the study of types, and I would come back and or either share with you as I was preparing, or come back and give you something I had learned, and, and so on. So there's a younger generation here, maybe hasn't heard a lot about it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go over some things a little bit here. What's the purpose of a type, and what is a type? Well, the purpose of a type is to demonstrate with a given, to demonstrate with a given reality or a specific situation some spiritually significant happening that will occur later. And so God orchestrated for things to come into reality that had a message for the future, a little bit like prophecy, only it was seen in the event itself. And this establishes the authenticity or the reality or the truthfulness of the truth and reality of God, similar to the effect of fulfilled prophecy. When we see prophecy fulfilled, we look back and say, oh yeah, God said that. That means God knew what he's talking about. That means there is a God and he's true. Types are a whole lot the same way. We see what God did in a design and a situation, circumstance that spoke about the realities, the spiritual realities that were going to come later. When we see it unfold and come to fruition, oh, that was God that predicted that or shared that by a type. Wow, that was our God. I can trust him. Those are some of the, the reasons I'm going to give for why there are types and why it's appropriate to study and consider types. Because these kind of things, I've already alluded to it, provide a, another basis for our faith. Just reading the Word and allowing the Spirit to teach us cultivates our faith. But some of these things in a, in a very uh, dynamic way give us that boost of, wow, I can trust a God like that. 
kind of experience. And so one of the types that I want us to focus on, basically the type that I want us to look at this morning, is the type of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark is a very interesting type, developed early in man's existence. And I have a few things to share. I'm going to go fast, uh, and I'm going to probably read more than I usually do because I want to get, get it said, get over it, so you get as much as possible in the next 20 minutes. Or 15, if we'd be really, a miracle really happened. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. <clears throat> the ark is a type of Jesus. The ark symbolized what Jesus would do when he came. And you say, really? That, that big old wooden structure and those animals? That, that says something about Jesus and his ministry? Yes, we'll go there. But first of all, let's look at the water. The water was part of that whole situation. Without the water, the ark wouldn't have meant anything. Well, what was the water? The water is... Uh, one of the types of, of uh, how the water plays into this type is that the world will be judged by God's word. And God's word is called the water, the water of the word. The truth in this Bible will condemn the world to judgment. And that water that, that floated that ark was a, a type of God's word, the water, bringing judgment on condemning the, the unrighteousness of the world. That water condemned the unrighteousness then. This water will condemn it the next time. But that was, this, that, was that situation that brought the truth to bear as to what's going to happen in the future. And by the way, this water judges sin all the time. But there's a final judgment coming when this will be the final authority to judge the world. And again, Jesus as our Savior from this destruction, saves us people all along. He saved saints of old. He saved saints of the recent past. He's saving saints today, and he will save saints in the future from this destruction. That's one of the ways that Jesus is a type, uh, that ark was a type of Jesus. The ark also had a family in it. There were eight people. They were Noah's family. And that family represents the family of the redeemed in Christ, the saints of all ages. That's what they represent. <clears throat> they, by obedience, obeyed God and walked away from unrighteousness and followed the preacher of righteousness into their safety, into the ark of, of safety, which was, uh, again, that was today that's Jesus. Back then it was the ark that, <clears throat> in that situation. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the, to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness. <clears throat> the ark also is a type of Jesus in that <clears throat> it is the provision for us to survive. 
Actually, uh, I uh, move on to the next thought. I, I, that one will have to wait. In 1 Peter 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 20b, it says, When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. That was his family. That was represented the saints. But I want you to think about something else. In the type system, numbers mean things. And eight is an interesting number. Those that have studied the types, and if you, you look at the repetition of the words, the way they're used, and the way they, they play out in Scripture, this word eight signifies new beginnings. You have seven days in a week. The, next, the first day of the next week is the eighth day. Actually, Jesus rose from the dead on the eighth day. It was the first day of the week, but it was after the week of, of, the, uh, of, of all that happened in his life that brought him to that situation. His resurrection actually was the new beginning of God's plan for creation to be saved. And so eight has, uh, carries the idea of a new beginning. And Noah's family was the new beginning on earth after the flood. A number of those things you'll find interesting, and I won't have time to go into all that. But it's also interesting to notice that Noah was the eighth generation from the creation. In 2 Peter 5, 2, 5, it says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Oh, there's something else about the ark. <clears throat> The ark started to rise out of the floodwaters on a specific day, and it is named in Scripture. And that day was 2,700 years to the day prior to Jesus' resurrection. And so the ark coming up out of the water is actually a type of Christ's resurrection. It happened on the same day of the year, 2,700 years apart. Is that an interesting situation? Is that by chance? Or is that the God I can put faith in? He wanted us to be sure we realized that the resurrection was something he had planned from the very beginning. It was part of the program of salvation from the judgment of the world. Of the, <clears throat> from the world. Hebrews 11, 7. <clears throat> uh, I've already read that verse twice. But, but I want us to think about it. It says here that um, by faith, excuse me, Noah, I'm going to paraphrase it, prepared an ark, saved his house. He condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Now I have this question. Was Noah saved because he believed that there, there would be a flood? Or was he saved because he built the ark? If he would have just believed that there was going to be a flood and God could save him and he did nothing, I don't think he would have been saved. But if he built the ark and didn't get in it, he wouldn't have been saved. And so he was righteous because of his faith and because his faith made him do something. A good case for faith and works. Well, here's where we get to kind of the, the punchline of this type. 
has, goes back to our, our um, title. I'm going to read Genesis 6.14. God giving instruction to Noah says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Now, that just makes sense to some people that if you're going to build a boat, you've got to make it float. And so it needs to be pitched. It needs to be sealed. Now, some do it with very clever craftiness to get the, the boards to be close enough that they're sealed, and they just put a, some paint on it, and that does the job. Well, I don't, think, I don't think Noah had a plan. I think he had some pretty rough lumber. I'm amazed that they had lumber like that to build boards. Uh, no wonder it took them 100 years to put it together. They had to saw all those boards out of the, and how they did it. They didn't have electricity, at least I don't know that they did. Um, I don't think they had any Dewalt batteries back then. Uh, we really rely on those nowadays. But they needed something to seal those cracks. And so it says they pitched it within and without. Now it was very interesting in the recent past, I say recent, fairly recent, I discovered that those that were pitch at the beginning within and the pitch without are two different words in the original. And that got my attention. What's this about? What's significant about pitch inside and pitch outside that are different? What's the meaning? And it was very interesting what I discovered. But I want to say this. If you had just put pitch on the inside, the water could have pushed right through it and not pushed it off. So they needed pitch on the outside. But the pitch on the outside wouldn't stay on if it didn't have something to bond to on the inside. So there's a reason why it was the inside and outside. There are other reasons. That was just a practical reason. But before I go further, I want to ask you this question. I mentioned that if Noah wouldn't have gotten in the ark, would he have been saved? Well, now here's the next question. If he would have gotten into the ark and not been obedient about putting the pitch on, would he have been saved? No. Would that ark have served as a type of Christ if he wouldn't have put the pitch on it? There would be no salvation in it. Oh, there's another aspect I want to think about. I want you to think, I want us to come to the reality of what these words mean the pitch and the pitch. And I'm going to get right to it. I'm going to give you the secret away before I explain it. And that is that without Christ's atonement, without him dying for sins, his living a good life here and teaching all the wonderful things he taught wouldn't have brought salvation to mankind. He had to die or his, or his coming to earth would have been futile. He would have been as... His, his life on earth would have been as futile as an ark sitting there in the rain and the flood without pitch on it. Now, I've given you a good, strong clue. That's what this words pitch mean. The pitch on the inside, I'm going to just give you what, what uh, I, I gathered from the Strong's Concordance. It says, figuratively to expiate or condone, to placate or cancel, to appease, to make an atonement, to cleanse, this and all, forgive, be merciful, pacify, pardon, purge. Those are all things that describe the atonement. Oh, it says, and put away and reconcile. I didn't get those in there yet. 
Now, the word within is interesting. The word within is actually focusing on the reality of what's in the ark. The within has these words to describe it. It's a house, a family, a home. Uh, the inside, it even uses the word palace and some other words. It's a very, very appropriate dwelling place for those who need to be there. And it's a reference to the family within. Now, there's a couple things that go through my mind. And I, I don't know if I can get it all unscrambled here real quick this morning. But there was a within and a without. Now I'm going to give you the without. It says, a meaning is to sever, uh, to separate by a wall. It's the outside, the out of doors. It's without. It uses other things like a field or going forth or out a street, whatever. It's just interesting, all the things that that word can... And I'm going I'm to share just a couple of verses with you later to, to see where this same word was used in Scripture so you can see what, how it, it carries meaning in some of these ways. It talks about the wall. We have scripture says that the middle wall partition was broken down. I believe that this, this atonement was for those inside of the family. I think that would be the Jews. And those outside of the family, of, of the original family of God's children, the Gentiles. And so we have atonement for both Jew and Gentile. I see that as part of the type scenario. But there's something else I see here. And that is the type of atonement very, changes a little bit on the outside. That's, that's what really got my attention. And so I want to go to that now. <clears throat> the pitch on the outside, it, it uses these words to define it in the original. To properly cover. Uh, it mentions as a, a village or many people. Uh, and it mentions, it says figuratively a redemptive price. It uses the word bribe, um, pitch. <laughs> it uses the word pitch there because that just fits according to the original. Ransom, satisfaction, sum of money. These are some of the ways that this word was, was actually used, the original word. And so there's an aspect of this that what was on the outside, protecting the, the program of Christ, redemption, was the fact that that he, he paid the price of giving his, himself as a perfect sacrifice to, to satisfy the curse that had been pronounced on man for sin. And that gave protection from all the bombardments that Satan would throw at this, this program of salvation. I just have to put this one in here. It's not in my notes, but it just comes to me. The protection of the plan of salvation is also typified by the cherubim with their wings covering the atonement, the mercy seat in the tabernacle. The mercy seat demonstrates Calvary. It's where the blood was applied. It's where Jesus, it was a type of where Jesus would give his life as an atonement for sin. But there are those two cherubim, those golden cherubims protecting it. In other words, Satan had no way to disrupt this plan of salvation that God was bringing to the earth. He tried to. He tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Y'all studied that this morning in your Sunday school lesson. And I find it so interesting 
as I meditate on this, I come to realize that Satan's wrath was kindled because he was not able to move Jesus away from his, with his plan and his purpose. And I believe that is why Jesus suffered to the extent he did the week of passion before he died. That's one reason. There's many reasons. I believe another reason is that, that it, was, it was important for him to experience the suffering to the ultimate suffering so that he could identify with any suffering that ever occurred on earth. Scripture says that he has he's been tempted like as we were. He is a man like we were. And it talks about his suffering that we understand. And Peter, he talks about that we will follow his footsteps in suffering. And he has suffered. And that's the mind of Christ, to be willing to suffer. And we need to have that same mind that we're willing to suffer for the program of salvation and for Christ's sake. Well... <clears throat> I'm just going to read a couple words, um, a couple verses. The first atonement on the inside, uh, we'll see that it says in Exodus 30, verse 10, and Aaron shall make an atonement, same word, upon the horns of it once a year, speaking of the, uh, <clears throat> the mercy seat. And it goes on and, and uh, says it again, repeats it again, shall make atonement, uh, kafir, a kafir is the word. <clears throat> in Leviticus 16, 27, it says, And the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement. There's that same word. In the holy place, shall one carry forth without the camp. And this is also part of, of what I believe that with the pitch on the outside is re referencing Jesus' work outside of the camp. <clears throat> And, and that references his salvation is available to all the world. And his blood was brought in from there to the mercy seat in our behalf to, to obtain that uh, atonement for, and, and be a sin offering for our sins. Uh, another verse from Psalms. <clears throat> it says, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and that's the same word as uh, kefir, kefar. Now, there's a number more, but I'm going to move on. The other word pitch on the outside is used this way in other scriptures. In Numbers 35, 32, it says, and ye shall take no satisfaction. And this word is kofar. For him that is fled to a city of his refuge. And Job 33, 24 says, Then he is gracious unto him and, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom to for. <clears throat> without pitch, the, the ark would not have floated, and without the atonement, there would be no salvation in Christ. I wanted to give a quick pitch on prophecy since we're into this. And we talk about prophecy being uh, what validates God as the one who's worthy of our, our faith and our trust. And I, I just don't have time to really get into this. It might have to be another message, but I just want to bring, make reference to it. 
And that is the prophecy of Isaiah 53 actually lays out this atonement, this, this plan of salvation. And this is prophetic, and it came to pass appropriately, accurately. But there's one aspect of this that I just want to mention, I found I want to share with you a little bit. In verse 3, it says, And he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now that word esteemed, in the original, one of the aspects of that would be to regard. It says that natural man regarded him not. It didn't give him credit for what he was really what was really happening. It says, We esteemed him not. Then the next verse uses the word esteem again. It says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him. And here it doesn't say esteem not, but it says we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. This word has the idea of imagine. It was imagined that he was worthy of this death. It was inappropriately imagined that God was smiting him and bringing him under affliction. Well, God allowed the affliction. But here it says that the imagination was in man that, that he just fell uh, into bad situation, bad hands, and, was, and God uh, took the opportunity to... to uh, exercise his wrath on his son. And some would say that that was that because he took our sins upon him, and, and I don't have time to get into that, but I, I can't go there, I can't agree that he actually, because it says that, that uh, he learned obedience. I, I, I quoted this verse already, I want to go back to it real quickly. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, Though he were a son, yet he learned, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey. He was perfect. His, his life was sinless. And it never became tainted by sin. Had it became tainted by sin, then his blood would have been like the blood of any man and would have fallen under the, the curse that was against man and sin. He had to be a perfect sacrifice to be able to be that sacrifice offering that he was. <clears throat> Another verse that we stumble on sometimes in verse 10, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, and he hath put him to grief. This verse also, uh, well, let me redress that. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And that word pleasure of the Lord, I, don't, I believe, helps us to understand what it meant when it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Uh, one of the translations I, I was able, or versions I was able to find that, that I felt said it like it is, it says instead of it pleased the Lord, it was the Lord's will to bruise him. And that's what I believe is the reality. It wasn't that, it, that, that God got any pleasure out of bruising him, but he got pleasure and delight out of an obedient son that was willing to bring to fruition the plan of salvation that demonstrated the overwhelming love for mankind. Well, I'm just going to have to skip to the end. Uh, I had some other verses here. 
in 1 Peter 2, 21, it talks about Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But commi- and here's what I want us to catch. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. In verse 24, who his own self bear our sins. And I looked up that word, bear our sins, and it's spelled two different ways in the New Testament, but it comes up to be the same original word, uh, if I understood it correctly. And it has the idea of to offer up. That was what it means to bear, is to, to carry our, our sin condition to the Father for, for, for reconciliation. He bore our sins. Well, I want to uh, come to the conclusion. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For all things are for your sakes. Now listen carefully that the grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. So the response of our faith to God is thankfulness. And actually, I wanted to share about joy. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, went through the suffering of the cross. That was my paraphrase. The joy that was set before him And then I, I've got a whole list of, maybe I'll just quit looking at one or two of them. Uh, that verse says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. <clears throat> and then here, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. That's what brought him into that that agonizing situation in the week of passion was the contradiction of, of sinners and, and Satan's realm against him. Against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted yet, uh, resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, a couple of verses on joy. That, he, that, that one had joy in it, him looking forward to that joy. But here's for us. <clears throat> In uh, John 16, 24, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, and ye shall... Well, he's, he's building on the fact that he told him to ask. He says, Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. In Romans 15, 13, Now the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You see, this is the, the response of believing and having faith is joy and peace. And so I just proposed to us this morning... We'll just come through a Thanksgiving season. And I'd like for us to do a little, um, a little uh, check. Uh, evaluate your thankfulness, and it may help you discover where you are in your faith. And I would encourage you to, to go back, not just generate thankfulness, but go back to appreciate God for what he's done, for the gift of salvation, all Jesus did. And commit herself to the, the God who judges rightly and express that kind of faith in walking with him. And that will generate the reality of the joy and peace in our life. Sometimes, going back to what we started earlier, I had a verse I wanted to bring in here for this too. Found in Revelation chapter 3, 
Jesus said, uh, in, in inviting the church to be whole and to come out of lukewarmness, he says, repent. And there's times when we don't have that thankfulness. It's more than just making adjustments. We need to repent. We need to discover where we are with God and deal with it precisely and get on right terms with God if we're not in obedience to what we know by His Spirit and His Word communicating to our lives. So I just want to challenge us. Let's be all we can for the Lord. Let's float in that vessel of salvation to, to continue day of redemption. And let's enjoy being in, in the ark in the family of God. Go have a song.